Thank you for joining our special crisis edition of Nourish Your Biblical Roots, Israel Under Attack. Over the past two weeks, more than 3,500 rockets have been fired into Israel by Hamas terrorists in Gaza. Despite calls for a ceasefire, Israelis are bracing for more. Podcast host Yael Eckstein, president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, discussed the current situation in Israel during a recent emergency fellowship family meeting with more than 10,000 supporters and friends on the call. Listen now as Yael answers questions about the current conflict and what the fellowship is doing to provide life-saving assistance on the ground in Israel. Yael, welcome to the call, and thank you so much for being with us. I know it's really, really late or really early in the morning there in Israel, and we are so grateful to have you there to give us a firsthand account of what is happening on the ground. What is the situation over there right now? The truth is right now it's uh, 2.40 a.m., and I'm up not only because of this call, but because throughout the night there have been rocket attacks in Israel. The code red siren goes off where um, uh, everyone runs to bomb shelters. And for the past 10 days, this has become the routine. Over half of the country has endured over 2,000 rocket attacks on Israeli soil. And we've seen synagogues get hit literally the day before Pentecost. And so they cleaned up the synagogue and went on to be in prayers for Pentecost. We saw schools hit. The day that God put it on the hearts of the leaders to close the schools, that there was a, a, a brilliant saying here in Israel by one of our prime ministers, um, that in order to be a realist in Israel, you have to believe in miracles. And that's what we've been seeing, because we've had thousands of Hamas-ruled, uh, from the Hamas-ruled Gaza Strip, rockets launched at cities huge metropolitan cities where, frankly, there are no open areas. And we've seen that, first of all, the Iron Dome, Israel's amazing, miraculous technology that Israel has put so much time, energy, prayer, money into protecting its citizens, knowing that we face the threat of being annihilated by our enemies. Israel has worked on this on this Iron Dome that's nothing short of a miracle that has taken down thousands of rockets that were headed towards Israeli cities and the rockets that have landed have hit buildings that were cleared out just days before, have hit open streets right in the middle of two cars. And so with over 2,000 rockets launched at Israeli cities and millions of families living in bomb shelters, what we've seen is both heartache, we've seen a six-year-old boy be killed by one of these rockets and the whole country mourned for him. We today saw two uh, Thailandi workers in the field who are picking the fruits of Israel who were killed by Hamas rule terrorist, uh, terrorist rockets directly on them. And what we saw today also was a, was a rocket that killed an Israeli soldier who is preparing humanitarian aid on the border with the Gaza Strip. And to me, that just sums everything up, because what the people of Israel want and pray for is peace. What the people of Israel are ready to take hard steps for is peace, as we've seen from the Abraham Accords that we've uh, miraculously signed this year, peace with our neighbors. 
And when we have terrorists in the Gaza Strip launching thousands of rockets at Israel, we both feel the pain of mothers and fathers in the bomb shelters with their children for days on end, elderly who are living in their bomb shelters because they won't make it on time if they leave their bomb shelters, who are in need for basic food, and a country who is both in prayer but also in trauma, remembering just how much in this this region where there are 57 Muslim-majority states in the tiny country of Israel that has just 9 million citizens, and 20% of those are Muslim, just how vulnerable we are, but also feeling so inspired by how much in the hands of God we are and how God will always protect us. What do you think is the reason uh, for the latest Hamas attacks on Israel? There has been a, a quite a different type of uh, media stories here in the U.S., and any clarity you could bring to that would be terrific. It's a great question. I think there are are some answers that I'll get to, but but the, the core answer is Hamas is a terror organization. The Gaza Strip, in uh, which is located in southern Israel, where uh, Israel took every last Jewish person out in the uh, 2005 uh, disengagement, hoping that the Palestinians would bring about a new era of peace and prosperity for their people. And Israel and the Israeli government and the Jewish people and the international world, when Israel left the Gaza took every last Jewish person out of the Gaza Strip. They invested billions of dollars in greenhouses, in all the foundations that they need in order to jumpstart an economy, in building buildings for their people, and really giving them the tools that they needed in order to create a coastal enclave that would bring a good life to the people who lived there, two million Palestinians in Gaza. And... uh, Unfortunately, what we saw was that the Hamas terror organization violently took over, killing not only uh, Israel's people, but the Palestinian people, their rivals, and the Palestinian Authority. When there were elections, they didn't have elections. They literally pushed the Palestinian Authority people who were in the Gaza Strip off of buildings to show that they will not have anyone against them. They dragged them in the street while they were tied by their ankles with horses. They threw stones at them in order to kill them. And what they showed very clearly was they don't want prosperity and peace for their people. They want to continue trying to terrorize Israel, period. And so they burnt down the greenhouses that Israel built for them. They built down all the different foundations uh, for a strong economy that the international world invested in. Because what they wanted, and as it says in their charter, is Israel's destruction, not peace and prosperity. And so it's important to look now at the world events of how this broke out. But it's also important to realize that you're not talking about Israel, which is a country that stands for freedom and and stands for life and stands for uh, prosperity of others and trying to bless others with good lives and opportunities for their children. You're not dealing with a country like that or like America or like Europe or like Canada. You're dealing with a self-declared internationally recognized terror organization who wants one thing and that's Israel's destruction. And so once you put in those perspectives, it makes a lot of sense that Hamas 
from their civilian populations are launching rockets to Israel's civilian populations. It makes sense that Israel has taken the concrete we have to build bomb shelters, while Hamas has taken the concrete they have to build underground bunkers to protect the terrorists, and those are placed underneath schools, hospitals, and residential buildings. They have one goal, and that's to annihilate Israel. And so when there are times of peace and quiet, as it would look like from the outside, Israel's very aware that Hamas is just preparing for the next war, preparing for the next time that they're going to try to attack Israel. And what we saw now is with these long-range rockets, we didn't even, uh, we've never had this type of technology launched on Israel before with the attack drones and the long-range rockets that get not only to Tel Aviv, past Tel Aviv, um, which is central Israel, almost almost to the northern tip of Israel. And so what spurred the uh, conflict and, and war this time, what Hamas would say, was it was on Jerusalem Day, it was the end of Ramadan, and uh, Israel didn't allow uh, Hamas-affiliated or just affiliated with other terror bodies, um, people who seek violence and destruction, to throw rocks and firecrackers on the police on the Temple Mount. So as the protesters there, the violent protesters, were throwing rocks, not just little rocks, huge rocks that kill people, launching firecrackers directly at the police station there, burning up uh, all different items on the Temple Mount, throwing things down on worshippers at the Western Wall. The Israeli police responded, and when they responded, the violent protesters ran into the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Temple Mount, and the Israeli police went inside to uh, try to arrest them in in order to stop this violence. Now, when the Israeli police went into the Al-Aqsa Mosque that was serving as a cover for these violent protesters, Hamas used it as a wonderful excuse in order to attack Israel. But what's going on behind the scenes there is that it happened to be at that same time that there were going to be elections within the Palestinian Authority and Hamas-ruled Gaza Strip. And this was Hamas's opportunity to be relevant in the election, to say, we don't only care about the people in the Gaza Strip, we care about the Palestinians in East Jerusalem. We care about the Palestinians in Israel, 20% of Israel's population are Muslim. We care about the Muslims all over the world, and this was their opportunity to be relevant in those elections and try to show that they are so bold to stand up to Israel, while what really ended up happening was now we see just how weak they are. Thank you, Yael. So with so much uh, destruction and threat happening in Israel and uh, people in Israel so vulnerable to the constant rocket attacks, how is the fellowship helping right now? Praise God. At this very moment, we have uh, fellowship staff, volunteers, representatives, partners in every single city that is under attack right now on the border. And so we have, on one hand, all these security projects that the fellowship has funded in the past that are being used at this moment as we speak. For example, thousands of bomb shelters that the fellowship has built are being used right now. 
the labor and delivery unit at the largest hospital in southern Israel that was totally exposed in previous wars, that there were women giving birth in, in broom closets, now are completely secure. We see children in the NICU, uh, babies in the NICU unit in this hospital who were moved previously again to the kitchen or any of the locations that didn't have windows because rockets struck on the hospital as well, that suddenly now they can stay safe exactly where they need to be. Uh, we have the emergency command centers down south where the army and police and mayors are gathering for security assessments or in sheltered spaces that the fellowship has sheltered. The first responders who, when there are rockets falling, have to go and respond to those injured under rocket attack are wearing the fellowship-donated protective vests and helmets. And so, first of all, it's so important to realize that at this moment, even before we did anything new during the past week and a half of conflict in Israel, the fellowship aid is saving lives. And just as important, I think, as saving lives is the fact that it gives a message. Christians around the world stand with Israel. And as we see so many countries telling Israel that they're using disproportionate measures and calling for a ceasefire as we have rockets falling over Tel Aviv and doing everything they can to put Israel down, these millions of Jewish people in southern Israel who are being saved by fellowship aid, every time they use the bomb shelter, they use the first responders kit, every time they receive what they need, they remember, I'm not alone. There are millions of Christians praying for me. And that, to me, is the most powerful testimony of how God, I believe, is using Christians here in the Holy Land from afar in order to be the watchmen on the wall. And in the past week and a half, Robin, the fellowship is the quickest and the only organization who has been able to engage so quickly without any bureaucracy, without any waiting, that we've delivered thousands of meals to elderly in their bomb shelters. We've delivered food packages for the two-and-a-half-day holiday of Pentecost, cooked meals, food boxes. We've brought... Uh, over 20 bomb shelters to southern Israel and placed them in locations that already received rocket attacks and didn't have any bomb shelters for the people there. Children have been in bomb shelters for the past week and a half, and especially for special needs children, it's been so difficult, both for the children and for their families. And so we've gone shelter to shelter delivering activities for these special needs children in order to give them something to focus on, something to do. We've strengthened our soup kitchens in Steros and the whole southern Israel to be able to provide more meals. And we've been there in order to fortify the trauma center, provide flashlights for security teams in Ashkelon and Steros to go into buildings that were damaged with rockets. We've provided flak jackets, and we've enabled even uh, organizations who transport elderly to and from the hospital for dialysis treatment to do that safely with protective gear. And so this has all been done that we've mobilized to do this in action because we have the most amazing donors who stand with Israel in prayer and in action that we're able to respond to these needs that every single day are getting more and more 
without any bureaucracy, without any waiting, because you, many of you on the phone, have enabled and put your trust in us to do that, and we are there to not let you down and get that aid immediately into the field to the people who need it most. Wow, it truly is a testament of how God is working through you and the, the team there and all of our supporters as, who have been so generous and so steadfast in their support and, and in this great time of need, and we are, we are so grateful. The fellowship continues to be a first responder throughout Israel, delivering food and essentials to those in need. Many have lost everything in the recent attack. To learn how you can help Israel and her people during this time of crisis, visit ifcj.org help. That's ifcj.org help. Now let's return to the Emergency Fellowship Family Meeting, where Yael answered questions from supporters on the call. Now let's hear from Candace from Hertford, North Carolina. Candace, you're on the line. Yes, I wanted to know if there was enough bomb shelters for everyone. Candace, thank you so much because I hear the prayer in your voice that you want me to say, yes, there's enough bomb shelters. Everyone has a, a safe place to go. And I wish, Candace, that I could say that. The most recent assessment shows that 20% of Israeli citizens in southern Israel I'm not talking about in Tel Aviv that they've needed bomb shelters and don't have, but just in southern Israel that's been getting hundreds of, of rockets falling on their cities every single day for the past week and a half. Twenty percent of those people don't have bomb shelters. And so the fellowship has already, because of our generous donors, ordered an additional, in addition to the 20 that we already placed uh, in the past week and a half, we've been able to order, praise God, another 46 bomb shelters to be placed. But it is not nearly enough. And where the fellowship is focused is at the most vulnerable locations, for example, the parking lot of hospitals. So when people wounded are being brought to hospitals, uh, when they park, they need to get into the hospital. Three rockets have fallen on Barzillai Hospital's parking lot just during this conflict now in the past few days. And so we've placed those mobile shelters there. But we get calls from municipalities, from cities, from elderly begging us. What they need is so much more. And I believe every single one built on another one, built on another one, leads us to be able to really secure the people of Israel in a huge way. But when you're praying for the people of Israel, it's something that I always pray for because I've seen it firsthand, elderly literally hiding under their bed when the code red siren sounds because they don't have a shelter to go to. So unfortunately, the answer is no. Many of the people on the border with Israel don't have bomb shelters. We now have Dion from Tennessee on the line. Dion? Yes. My question is, what is being done to derive at a peaceful solution for the children on both sides? Dion, that's such a wonderful question. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. And thank you so much for asking it. You know, I'll, I'll tell you this. When, when my 
son the other day was we were, we were talking about code red sirens and running to the shelter and how long she has and she went wanted to go to the skateboarding park and I said only if there's a bomb shelter and he said mommy why are we living our lives like this isn't Israel one of the strongest armies in the world can't we just wipe all the bad guys out in the Gaza Strip if they're going to climb rocket at, at us can't we just wipe them out and I said, we do have one of the strongest armies in the world. And with that comes a moral responsibility and a faith in God and a trust in God and a responsibility to God to do the right thing. And so even though we could wipe out the entire Gaza Strip, we would never do that. Because on top of the terrorists being wiped out are the innocent children. And so it's something that Israel is very mindful of. I was watching a video today that the um, Israeli Air Force put out that they had a terrorist in their site that they've been looking for for years. And they had him in the crosshairs of a rocket from the, from the air, from the Air Force. And they're about to launch, and they call it off because there are so many children around, that they didn't kill this terrorist who they could have killed and who on purpose surrounded himself with children because he knows that the Israeli Air Force would never target him if there are children around. Um, Israel called off, called off the strike. And it's something that happens all the time here. As Israel bombed um, the underground metro system that was built in order to house terrorists underground and protect them and and to uh, develop and store rockets there, what Israel saw was that at the entrance to this, they built it next to a school. Today, as rockets were being launched today at Israel, they were launching it from on top of a school. We have the videos for this. And so it makes for a very, very, very hard war to fight. Many of the children who were killed in the Gaza Strip were from rockets. Over half of the rockets that uh, we don't know exactly, the latest number I saw was around half of the rockets that uh, Hamas tries to launch at Israel actually fall short within the Gaza Strip. And many of the children were killed from that, along with, electric lines that were taken down that Israel provides electricity to the Gaza Strip with. And so it's a great question of how can we protect lives. I think on the Israel side, as far as children, there hasn't been school in over half the country for a week and a half because we cannot make our children vulnerable sitting in schools when there are rockets falling. And so school has been completely canceled. Um, and, and then on the Gaza Strip side, the fellowship, uh, the Israeli army, again, is so conscious of loss of life and doing everything in order to protect the innocent civilians, um, that it poses a real challenge when these children are being used as human shields. Thank you, Yael. So I have Gary from Jackson, Mississippi. Gary? Uh, I, I was just wondering if uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and I don't, I think he's the one that has control over the army too, if he's going to send the uh, ground troops into uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, you know what it says in our Bible that uh, if they don't get rid of those people, there'll be pricks in their side, and it appears that's what's happening right now. But I was just wondering if they would be sending ground troops into the Gaza Strip there. Thank you. Great question, Gary, and it's one of the hardest questions. My heart sinks just hearing it, and I'll tell you why. Israel's army is made up of mostly reserve soldiers. So in Israel, basically every uh, child from 18 to 21 serves in the army, and then every year after that, until they're 50 years old, 
they have to go for reserve training, which means they go back with their platoon, back on their army base, and get, first of all, updated on the latest threat, secondly, um, trained in the newest weapons, et cetera, so that when war breaks out, the first people they call, because Israel is such a small country, how do you have a strong army when you only have 9 million citizens um, of all ages? And so when, when war breaks out, the first thing they do is call up those reserve soldiers. And those reserve soldiers are my neighbors, are my cousins, are our staff. They're, they're, they're everyone. Um, and so it, the hardest thing to even see and think about is, is these fathers who are the most amazing dads who normally take their kids to school and to kindergarten every day, suddenly putting on a uniform and needing to leave to go to the, to the to war. Um, and so I think Israel wants to avoid ground troops for two reasons. First of all, it's what Hamas wants. That's how they can take as many lives as possible because they have booby-trapped the entire Gaza Strip that, you know, in the, la- in the previous war, what we saw in the Gaza Strip when we sent in uh, ground troops was every building that they knew the Israeli troops would want to go into is completely booby-trapped that you'd, you know, touch the door and the whole thing would explode. And that's how there's so much loss of life both on the Israel side and on the uh, Palestinian side. And so for that reason, um, I, I, I think that everyone's try, trying to avoid it at all costs. And the reason why we're able to is because Israel, instead of, uh, Israel has been focusing so much on developing our weapons that we can, we could hit such precise targets from the air, from the sea, from the ground, that in a way we could get more done that way without needing to lose lives on both sides than actually going in. Just today, the uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, I believe it was him, but it was definitely the security establishment, um, they said, someone asked, what, the, what will be a success of this mission? And the answer was, if there's quiet in Israel for the next five years, that will be considered a success. And so that tells me that at this point, there's no way to take out Hamas. There's no way to destroy Hamas right now militarily as far as what we see. We could just set them back. We could deter them from uh, attacking Israel again. We can knock out their weapons. We can knock out their terrorists, and hopefully they won't be able to replenish their weapons and their terrorist leaders so quickly. Um, but what that tells me is that I need to pray. When there is no military solution to one of the biggest problems, an existential threat to Israel, what I feel God telling me is the answer is prayer. When your government, when your army, one of the strongest countries in the world says, sorry, there's no way of wiping out the terrorist state on your border that wants to destroy you, wow, does it awaken repentance in my heart to just get closer to God? Because I know ultimately... That's the only solution. Thank you, Yael. We have Elise from Tillamook, Oregon. Elise, you're on the line. Uh, it's Elsie, actually, from Tillamook, Oregon. Um, my question is, Yael, you know, how are you doing? Oh, Elsie, that was so nice of you. Wow. 
Uh, thank you so much for asking. You know, I, I believe that when you have a servant's heart and you're able to give, it keeps you focused on the right thing. And it's very hard today. Um, I traveled into Jerusalem. I lived closer to northern Israel when I traveled into Jerusalem. And on the road, you have to pass by some Arab villages that I was a little bit nervous about. And um, the thought of driving when there are hundreds of rockets being launched and not near, being near bomb shelters um, is very difficult. I'm be going to be going down to the southern border on Monday um, in order to really bring aid, assess the situation, see how the fellowship can help more. But I, I feel like God has given me a miraculous, miraculous strength. Um, I remember I was raised, as I always say, I was raised on uh, Mr. Rogers. And I remember Mr. Rogers speaking to children in, in areas of war and conflict, and also those children who um, in their own neighborhoods were facing violence in America. I was raised, uh, I grew up in Chicago. And I remember him saying, whenever you're scared, just look for the helpers. But always be helpers in any scary situation. And they're the ones who are going to bring you comfort. And to feel that God has put me in this amazingly sacred and blessed position to be one of the helpers is something that I thank him for every second. And I, I, I take it as a real uh, guiding light in my life, that if God believes I can do this, then I have to do this. And if God believes that I have a mission in order to help other people and give them hope and be the voice of millions of Christians around the world on the ground in Israel. God believes and has put me in this position in order to do this. Wow, Lord, I am your servant. I am here, for, here with you and here to serve you. And it just gives me so much peace knowing that, that when God puts people in positions, he, he protects them as long as they have uh, obedient and sacred hearts. And so I try to always just Put my heart into the Lord's hands and recognize and remember that when your heart's with the Lord, no evil can come upon you. So thank you for asking and thank you for keeping me and my family, my children, my husband in your prayers. I believe that prayer is the greatest weapon and I feel so protected by all of your prayers. Thank you, Yael. And thank you so much for being with us tonight. You and the staff commitment to helping some of the most vulnerable people during this crisis is truly inspiring. Before we close the call tonight, Yael, I would like to ask Bishop Lanier to pray for you, your family, and the entire fellowship staff in Israel. We want you to be safe and that there would be an end to this violence. Bishop Lanier, would you pray for Yael and our fellowship family in Israel? I surely will. Almighty God, I thank you for Yael that you have positioned so prophetically for a time such as this. And we command over her now that the glory of the Lord hovers and saturates every part of her being, that your spirit is in her heart, your words are in her mouth, and your angels are by her side. Touch her precious family for she is a wife and a mother. I ask, Lord, that you keep each one of them safe from every harm and danger and that they would be able to look into one another's eyes and say, I'm not going to be afraid until God's afraid. And God is not afraid. We thank you for this extraordinary moment 
for this time together. We are more sure than ever, and we thank you for that one nation of one people and that one city of that one country, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we pray for the peace of everyone who dwells in that place. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this special crisis edition of Nourish Your Biblical Roots with podcast host Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Learn how you can help Israel and her people during this crisis by visiting ifcj.org help. That's ifcj.org help.